Hey, homies. I'm Katie. I'm Sydney. And this is Something Sick. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, (laughs) This is the worst part of a podcast, I want you to know. Yeah. No, I have, I want to talk about. We have a thing, yeah. I want to talk about Big Sky. Yes. If you people have not seen the show Big Sky. We are obsessed. It is way better than you think it's going to be. Like it already like the first trailer of the show seemed interesting. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't know how they're going to make a, a long full show. show about yeah. this. But it's so good. Really? And they just had the season one finale. And it's only ah, 12 episodes. It's 16. But it, felt, it was. Oh, it was? It was 16. It said it was number 12 on my phone. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. 16 seems right 16 episodes so it doesn't seem as long as some seasons but it's packed there are like i feel like we've watched three seasons so many things have happened it's insane i highly recommend and it's all about women supporting women and they're better than every guy basically in the whole show except for a guy that came later he's there's one guy that we We, like there is one man in the whole show that i like yeah, every other guy sucks. <laughs> the, sh- the sheriff's okay. Yeah, he could be better. He could be better, but he's not bad. If he even survived. <sighs> no spoilers. <laughs> Who can? No one cares about that one. <laughs> That's but the least important thing. We wanted to bring it up because in the last episode, oh yeah, the Summerton man. We talked about the Summerton man's possible son, Robin. Uh-huh. And I posted a picture of it. It's on our Instagram. And then I was just like a couple days later, just like looking at the photos for some, I don't even know why I was looking at them. And I was looking at the photo and I was like, man, that guy really looks like Ronald from Big Sky. Who's one of the the kidnappers. kidnappers. Yeah. And he really scary. does. Like, and then if you put the image that we posted of like what the Summerton man like would have looked like. Would have looked like with mixed with the sun is even more like because the haircut on mm-hmm. the image is like more what ronald's hair looks like i don't know it's scary yeah <gasps> so everyone should go watch that show though yeah big promos to big sky you and guys it did um, get a second <laughs> sponsor <season. laughs> and it did get a second season so that means you're not gonna waste your time yeah like ending on a cliffhanger like yeah you will at least get a second season so watch it and then we can all talk about it Yes. Because you all interact with us yeah. a lot. <laughs> but you should. Hey. Yeah. Because we just watched the finale the other day and it was so good. Yeah. I mean, I can never stop thinking about how crazy it is. Yeah. But it's well done crazy. Yes. I never know what to expect. Yeah. Like every time way. I think that I like know where it's going. Nope. I did not know where it was going. <laughs> should we jump right in? Let's jump right in. What okay. are we talking about today? Penhurst State School and Hospital. And this one is going to make everyone angry and make your skin crawl. And oh, every time I would read something else, I was like, I hate this. I'm going to start with a quote from a former special assistant to the superintendent of Penhurst. Penhurst was a mistake from day one, but it was a mistake made by all of us following the dictates of the best minds, in quotes, of its time. So like a mistake, a mistake. (laughs) Well, like they had good intentions behind mm, some people had good Mm. intentions behind it. And uh, it's just like it got out of hand way too fast. Yeah. So it's located in Spring City, Pennsylvania. And I have the address, but no one knows where that is. So (laughs) unless you live there, there's one person that's like, give me the address. Okay, (laughs) Just Google it. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to start with the history and I like did this order a bit different than I thought I was going to, but I'm just going to go and jump right in. So on January 23rd, 1903, the Pennsylvania legislature, I can never say that word. I hate it. <laughs> you did great. If I said it wrong, leave me alone. Uh, they commissioned the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. The institution would later be known as Penhurst State School and Hospital. And this was the second institution of its kind in the state of Pennsylvania. Don't ask me what the first one was. I don't know. I was going to ask and then I was like, she probably doesn't know. I did not look it up. I have a day job. (laughs) I don't have time. Just kidding. So the 
legislature. <laughs> I don't know. Why did I write this so many times? Uh, they wanted to figure out how many people were in the state that would benefit from this type of institution. And they determined that there were 1,146 people in insane hospitals and 2,627 in almshouses, reformatories, and prisons. And so they wanted to provide specialized care to those people that needed it. Okay. Which I feel like those people had good intent they were like these people don't belong in prisons yeah with criminals but and, uh, you'll see why like it's not better really mm-hmm. so the building was large enough to house no fewer than 500 residents what is that mean? i have no idea <laughs> but every thing said no fewer than 500 okay so they mean like at least yeah but it's just no, no fewer, fewer makes it sound like if you we can't have less than 500 <laughs> we need 500 yeah. people here so one part of the building was going to be used for educational and industrial for the educational industrial department and the other part would be used for the custodial or asylum department which i kind of talk a little bit about later okay it's just like i didn't know what that meant at first but i know i have it in my notes somewhere else off the top of my head it's gone it's gone it's out of here (laughs) yeah so the superintendent appointed was wesley white (laughs) alliteration who was the former president of the american association of medical dosimetrists dumb i can't even say the word but i looked it up and whatever that word is (laughs) it, it means that he worked with radiation and oncology okay which how that applies to people with mental disabilities no. and epilepsy, I do not know. But yeah, anyway, he's a medical guy. You know, they were like, that he's, works. They said he's sort of in the medical field. Yeah. Construction began on May 23rd, Sydney's mom's birthday, 1903, way before way her mom. Way before my mom. <laughs> it's almost her birthday. Hey. Uh, and continued for 25 years. So construction, like even this people. Will also, this is coming out on May 23rd. <gasps> Hey. That's weird. Happy anniversary. No, not happy anniversary Uh. to this. But, okay, so construction continued for 25 years of it, but, like, people lived in in some of the buildings during that time. So other buildings were added later. Buildings T and Q. So there's some that have lettered that they were like all lettered at first and then like later given names i hate that i know our apartment complex is lettered and it's not it's, done it well. doesn't make sense <laughs> so um t and q were the first for patients to go into 10 buildings were completed by may 31st 1910 so half of them about half of them were done by them um 23 buildings were originally planned for the school um most of the buildings in the lower campus were lettered I said, they were lettered and then given names the more notable names that have had a lot of paranormal activity were the Philadelphia building, Quaker building, and Mayflower building, and more. There's more, but those are the main three. Um, and then the buildings were designed to have a lot of small rooms with two or three beds in them. And then there were like dormitories that were made for like eight to 10 beds in a room. And then they would also have large day rooms for exercise and things like that. Interesting. Yeah. There was a lot more detail about the buildings and I was like, this is not important. But if you really want to know... You can look it up and see. Yeah. So on November 23rd, 1908, the first patient of Penhurst was admitted and was labeled as patient number one in the records. I don't know their name. Well, yeah. Yeah. So now we're all going to kind of It's just like weird that there's like a patient number one. I know. know. Yeah. And also the fact that we're calling them patients, which I'm about to talk about. So residents were called inmates at first also and patients, which I read... There's, I'll talk about it later. There's a lot of people that have people that are advocates for people with disabilities are like, there is nothing wrong with them that we yeah. would call. They're not patients and they're not inmates by mm-hmm. any means. So it's just like, I tried to call them residents for yeah. the most part because I was like, they didn't want to be there most yeah. of the time. But it was just like the word choice inmates makes me so mad because other places that we've talked about have called them yeah. inmates. And it's just like, it's stupid. Why would you call them that? more about the people that were there. Um, Regardless of their age, all residents of Penhurst were called children, even though many were adults. That is messed up. (laughs) They would literally classify people like they would be like, you're epileptic or you're healthy. Or you are insane or an imbecile. Yeah. What? And they would classify people based on their dental conditions like good, poor, or treated like it was being treated or whatever your dental Dental. conditions yeah so they would literally put these random classifications on the imbecile like these that is so ridiculous it's so bad 
also the epileptic or healthy you can be an epileptic and be healthy yeah like <laughs> and also like imbecile or insane like you can have a disability and still be very sane-minded oh, yeah. and very smart oh yes like that is oh having a mental disability you're never quote-unquote insane no. or like, an imbecile like that is yeah oh that's infuriating i told you just it just makes you mad from the start and then keeps going great um okay this next part is like it's not as bad but residents were appointed to different tasks like mattress making shoemaking farming laundry sewing baking painting and more things and like those are helpful like useful things to teach people especially people that like maybe their families weren't going to yeah. teach them that because of their disability but it's like they're calling them inmates and like forcing yeah, them to do labor like that is, sounds more like forced labor than yeah. like a lesson to like teach them things like that hey they this should is how know. you cook a meal yeah. for yourself yeah so it's just like why would you they just need education like these people just needed education and special care that maybe yeah. their parents couldn't provide for i don't know and then now we're gonna move it's just not great but we're going to keep moving with the history. So by 1912, the superintendent was alerting the board of trustees that people with epilepsy and people with intellectual or developmental disabilities did not require the same treatment and were therefore incompatible to cohabitate in the same treatment facility, which is okay. Like they need, they have different care needs, yeah. I guess, but it's like, you're incompatible, which is like, no, <laughs> you can still live. Like, yes, they have different Needs, needs obviously but like like it would make sense if he was like they're splitting them up so that the nurses know like are these people in this area things. need this care kind of yeah thing. that's not why they were doing yeah i don't know by 1912 also the board was already requesting twenty five thousand dollars for repairs they opened to patients in 1908 so four years later and they're already requesting twenty five thousand dollars in what? repairs i have no idea what happened that fast to make them go downhill yeah. but like are you kidding <laughs> And then in 1913, the Commission for the Care of Feeble-Minded was created by the Pennsylvania legislature. There's so, this word, I hate that word. <laughs> this commission determined that the disabled were unfit for citizenship and quote-unquote posed a menace to the peace. This is going to make you mad. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, this is where they came up with the idea of a program called custodial care, which is like assisted living, okay. basically. But it's like... I can't believe they said that people with disabilities are a menace to the peace. That. To take this one step even further, they wanted to stop people with disabilities that were essentially imprisoned in the state school from reproducing with those in the quote-unquote general population. Penhurst's chief physician quoted a eugenicist, is that how you say that? I'm assuming. Eugenic, yeah. Named Henry H. Goddard, who said this. Every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more... Every person is a potential criminal, oh, period. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good idea to segregate the, the idiot or the distinct imbecile, they have not as yet been convinced to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is the brighter and more dangerous individual. So I didn't understand a lot. I was mm -hmm. trying... I kept reading this quote, trying to understand what they meant at the end. Yeah. But it make the first part of it is horrific to yeah. say. Oh my gosh. Oh, it makes me so mad. Everybody, I hope you're getting angry. Get heated with us. Yeah. This episode is called Get Heated. Yeah. By, um... By 1916, the Board of Trustees requested a second campus to be built for up to 1,200 female residents. Um, the buildings for the women could be supplied power and water and other things from the same sources used in the main campus. Um, this segregation of women from the men was partially because they wanted to prevent pregnancies among the residents. I'm just like, people can control themselves. Yeah. Like, and if they humans. can't, there's another solution to that. Like, yeah. It's just like, they weren't doing that to protect them. They were doing that to like, like as a form of eugenics. Oh, yeah. And that's just messed up. Exactly. The Penhurst Hospital opened in 1921. I couldn't find much about that part of the property necessarily, but I wanted to bring it up. Mm -hmm. And then the female campus of Penhurst opened three of its eventual five buildings by 1930. So it was proposed in 1916 and the 
first three buildings were done by 1930. On May 31st, 1930, it was reported that there were 1,247 residents at Pennhurst with many more applications coming in. And I know it said no fewer, it was made for no fewer than 500, but I have more numbers on that, but like 1,247 seems like a lot of people to start i guess they've been open for 20 something years yeah and like they have several buildings yeah i'll give you more like staff numbers in Mm -hmm. a bit but it's just like they're very understaffed at every point of this i just want that to be known but so the board of trustees urged the pennsylvania legislature to provide more funding and support for the schools by 1955 there were 3,500 residents at penhurst so another 20 years they'd more than doubled and They had two annexed locations, and those became their own schools and were no longer under the same administration as Pennhurst by 1961, and that lowered the Pennhurst population to 3,200 in 1961. So only, like, those two other locations took 300 people away. Yeah, that is not helpful. Residents of Pennhurst were rarely, if ever, receiving medical attention in their residential buildings. Then what's the point? Well, they lived across campus from the hospital, so they didn't really have the people needed to attend there. So, like, they had a hospital, but the residents weren't getting help. Also, our downstairs neighbor is playing the piano, so I hope you can't hear it. Just slamming on the keys. It's great. (laughs) He's been doing the same thing. For a week He plays now. like two really low notes just at the same time, just over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> I like, I honestly hope people can hear that so they know we're not crazy. Oh my gosh. But. Oh, he added a note. <laughs> Anyways. This becomes a commentary on our neighbor's piano playing. I pull, we hold our microphone down to, to the floor. To clarify, he's like nine. He's not an adult. Yeah. <laughs> but, Still. Anyway, continue. Okay, Okay, so I'm going to mention this court case soon, but there was a lawsuit that was filed called Pennhurst State School and Hospital versus Halderman, and it eventually did go to the Supreme Court. And in that case, it was found that about half of the residents of Pennhurst at the time had been committed based on a court order, and then the other half were taken there by parents and guardians. And then... parents that were dropping their kids off were leaving their children there for help were told it would be a safe environment for their children with disabilities which i doubt it by the year 1966 i wrote happy birthday to my dad (laughs) (laughs) what up (laughs) several pieces of legislation were passed that really led to the breakdown of penhurst starting with the mental health and mental retardation act in pennsylvania which authorized services in a community setting as opposed to an institutional one okay so these now there's legislation coming in that's like hey this is not really the effective way to Uh, be treating and giving help to people with disability like yeah not the way to educate them and help them live their lives in the best possible way um and then two years later another thing that i think really tore them down was in 1968 the conditions of penhurst were starting to be exposed when a reporter named bill baldini released a five-part series on penhurst called suffer the little children which i did not personally watch but i found some notes he did not pull any punches no (laughs) suffer the little children so now i'm going to tell you about this series because boy it's a lot and this man put everything he had into this and so bill baldini received a tip about the conditions of penhurst which led him to go investigate and he did an interview with the institute of Dis- on disabilities at temple university and he claimed that the conditions were so bad that his sound and camera operators wanted to leave and he had to give them breaks for emotional for an emotional reset constantly and they filmed for five straight days wow yeah. He also claimed that when he... Why? Like, did Penhurst just allow him to do that? I think so. Oh, and I'll explain. I wrote it down somewhere, but like a lot of the people that were working there, they wanted him to expose it to be like, okay. we need help. Like, okay, not okay. all of them, but a lot of the people, like the good hearted people, they were like, we don't have what we need to do. Okay. be doing yeah, this. That yeah. makes sense. So... They let him in. And I think the other people were probably really cocky and were like, people are going to agree with us. Like, people are going to think that we're doing the right thing, which Mm -hmm. is not the case. And I'll tell you about this guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
So um, Bill also claimed that when he brought his footage back to the first day of shooting or from the first day of shooting, his news director stated that he thought Bill was exaggerating about how bad the conditions were there. And the reaction from the public was so strong after the first segment aired that he was told to go back in and continue shooting. They were like, we need to know more about this. Like people were outraged. He, Bill himself, was working a lot of long hours, shooting, writing, producing, editing, doing like all of that by himself, and I'm sure with some help. But he ended up sleeping in the women's room at the news station for like three or four hours each each night. That's like all the sleep he got was like three to four hours. Yeah. By day five, Bill didn't have his voice to read the script anymore. Like when I said he put everything he had into this, this man did not have a voice afterwards. Uh, A man named John Facenda... I don't know how he's related to this, but he ended up being the one to read the script on the last one. And this was before he began reading it. He said this. It is with great regret that I tell you that reporter Bill Baldini, who has worked continuously on this series, has practically collapsed from sheer exhaustion and is unable to read the words which he has written to finish the series. So it is with considerable pride I conclude this report for him, (laughs) which is like this man respected. Yeah, he better. (laughs) Yeah. So this is where Bill stated that many of the administrators were more than happy to give information to get the word out on how disastrous the situation was at Pinhurst. And he insisted that most of the personnel were there to help and that they did an incredible job for the resources that they were given. So he was like, he wasn't bashing every Mm -hmm. single person that was there. That's good. Yeah. Um, He disclosed, now this is kind of more, this is where we get into the conditions that Mm -hmm. are really gut-wrenching so he walked in bill walked into a room containing two attendants and 80 children ranging from age six months to five years and they were all sitting in metal cribs or cages which is what he called them and he asked why the kids were confined to these cages and they couldn't they none of them were able to walk and it's because the attendant told him that they didn't have enough staff to be able to like set up mattresses and stuff on the floor to learn, teach them how to crawl and walk and so they just had to be stuck in there not learning these things because there were 80 of them and two people to help them were these kids like admitted like dropped off by parents or like because i'm assuming they weren't born there no i i think it's people drop them off because Mm -hmm. they didn't know how to treat yeah they didn't know how to help i don't want to say treat they didn't know how to help their kids with disabilities so yeah they just had all these poor babies that can't learn how to walk and they want to teach them how to walk but they can't Mm. because how are you going to do 80 teach 80 kids in a day how to do that no that's ugh. Um, Bill also said that there were patients who would just lie in their own feces for days. Penhurst business manager Elmer McSurdy <laughs> described the process of requesting bras for the women residents. So a male, a male business manager was like, hey, I think women here need to wear bras, like need to have access to bras, which seems normal. So he placed an order for the bras and that was canceled for him. And he was asked to justify the order. And he commented that it was (laughs) self-evident. And then his request was turned down again, asking for more justification. And so then he was like, well, let me get a dot. Like, let me ask a doctor to write the just like, if you're saying no, like have someone else that maybe they'll respect more to justify it and they went back and forth and ended up not being given bras and i'm just like why what justification do you need more than it's it's clothing like yeah they need it like they're hurting it a lot of them it offers them support it helps them in ways that like they could have serious back pain or something from this i don't know also you know it was a man that turned that down who had no idea about like i know women (laughs) they're fine like no they're not there's a reason this man was being persistent yeah. with wanting to get these for these women. There's a lot of misogyny and terrible people in this. Yeah. So now we're going to talk a little bit about Bill doing an interview with a guy named Dr. Jesse Fear. Not the best name for a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Yeah, Fear. imagine going to Dr. Fear. Yeah, and he is not a good person. So he explained to Bill that they punished residents who acted out acted out by this is in quotes downgrading them a little bit and that this punishment would offend their dignity as they were locked in a residence with residents with severe mental disabilities which 
There are many things wrong with this. One, residents with disabilities were being punished by being put in close quarters with people with other severe disabilities. And the fact that they were being punished in the first place. Yeah. How are they going to know better without you teaching them kindly? Oh my gosh. Like they, a lot of them came there as children. Yeah. Like they don't know any, like no one told them what's acceptable behavior. I just... Also, clearly this place sucks. Like, yeah, clearly some of them are going to quote unquote act out. Like (laughs) any person put in those kind of conditions is going to disability or no disability. You're going to act up to that. I think you probably really want to hear another quote from him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Let's hear what this asshole has to say. (laughs) What we're trying to do is degrade him to a certain extent among his fellows here. They make fun of him then for a while afterwards. afterwards. But I don't think there's anything inhumane about it or anything if that's the word. This man just straight up said he's pro-bullying. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think that there's anything inhumane about it. He said, I support bullying and I don't think that's wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He would and make, he's a doctor. Yeah. At a school for people with mental disabilities. Yeah. Uh, he did acknowledge that maybe this punishment isn't always effective. Isn't I wonder maybe why. Not. <laughs> maybe not, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you one more thing that's going to make you hate him even more. <laughs> Great. So I can, I can, for one, cannot believe this man thought this will make me look good when I do this interview, you know? So he was describing a time when he wanted to punish a resident named Ernie who had allegedly given a resident, another resident, like a large well on the back of his head, which is like definitely like if you give an, someone else a welt on the back of your head, you do need to be taught. That needs to be addressed. Yeah. And be like, hey, we don't do that to other people. Like, that's just not... You wouldn't want someone to do that. There's a way to explain it to them. Gently. Yeah. But instead, Dr. Fear threatened Ernie by saying, you touch one of my boys again, and I personally am going to take care of you myself. And as a normal response to that, Ernie told Dr. Fear not to touch him. And Dr. Fear responded, well, before this day is out, you're going to find out what I can do to you. And while trying to figure out the punishment for Ernie, Dr. Fear asked one of his staff members for the most painful injection they had that would not cause damage, which he did inject into Ernie and claimed he really hit the ceiling over that. I, (laughs) oh my gosh. He admitted this on a television series that everybody in the town and maybe further is watching. Words cannot express the confidence of people like him. Like, I don't know how they have that. I just, I want to give him a good, uh good punch in the face yeah it makes me so angry okay now moving away from dr fear but still in the docuseries because i could spend a lot of time talking yeah. about dr fear um bill baldini compared penhurst to zoos in the united states and he figured out that the biggest zoos spent about seven dollars and 15 cents each day on each animal and penhurst only spent about five dollars and 90 cents per resident per day at the time that the series aired less money than a zoo animal hmm <laughs> Uh, the superintendent also claimed that the capacity of Penhurst was 1,984 residents. At the time that they filmed this, there were actually 2,791 residents. Great. And I would say that even that capacity that they had seems was a little high. on the high side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the super- I mean, usually it is. Like, yeah. if you go to into any building and look at like the capacity on the wall, you're always yeah. like, oh, Ugh. I don't think I could... Not safe. Like, yeah. <laughs> and this is this is where I talked about how many staff members. Um, the superintendent said that he would like to have a staff of about 1,500 personnel, but that they would need $4 million more to pay for that additional 700 people. So they were operating on 800 staff members for nearly 2,800 residents. That is... And that's not even... Like, the staff members aren't working around the clock. Yeah. Like, they're not always there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. They needed, like, double what they had to... And, like, I don't even... That would not have been enough, I still don't think. Like, that's just... Well, obviously, it's not enough because they have more residents than they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So that's about the Suffer the Little Children series. In 1971, the Pennsylvania chapter of an advocacy organization for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities called the ARC, I think. They filed a lawsuit against the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and the lawsuit was settled in 1972 the next year and established the right for all children with intellectual disabilities to attend public schools, which they had been previously excluded from. Yeah. So that's a a win. Mm -hmm. Like, 
these are children no matter what and like they deserve to go to school they don't need to be segregated from yeah. the quote-unquote general population that that makes me so mad that they kept calling it that but it's just like yay for these people for getting a win in a year mm-hmm. like that's really impressive and then a couple years later in 1974 is when penhurst state school and hospital versus halderman was filed so this is a lawsuit and this was filed by a resident named terry lee halderman and it, she filed a class action lawsuit against Penhurst. And while as a resident, while, while as a resident at Penhurst, Halderman reportedly suffered about 40 injuries, including cracked teeth, a fractured finger, and a broken jaw. And a lot more of the conditions were exposed in this yeah. lawsuit. So now I have some of them. And first, I have some quotes from the case about the conditions. So, conditions at Penhurst are not only dangerous, with the residents often physically abused or drugged by staff members, but inadequate for the habilitation of the the R word. I don't like, I'm not going to say, I don't like it. Um, Indeed, the court found that the physical, intellectual, and emotional skills of some residents have deteriorated at Penhurst. That makes sense. Like, they're not being treated. Obviously, they're going to get worse yeah. mentally. Um, another quote. While at Penhurst, the residents regress both intellectually and behaviorally. Instead of learning self-care skills, they lose them. Maladapted behavior and regression result from the overcrowded wards, lack of privacy, lack of training programs, and an oppressive environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another quote. There is often excrement and urine on ward floors. So just like they don't even have basic human rights in this place. Many residents were physically injured by either abuse or neglect by the staff, including some to the point of death. Um, One resident who was blind and had intellectual disabilities was strapped to a wheelchair, even though she was able to walk. And they claimed they did this so that they would always know where she's at. Oh my gosh. She's not going to run away. There's so many like someone will see her. Yeah, she's blind. She's not running away. You don't. So I guarantee you, you haven't taught her how to use like a cane or something. Yeah, because they're not helping them find yeah. useful skills. Yeah. Like, oh, strapped her to a wheelchair. Oh, like <laughs> it's horrible. She's not gonna outrun you. <laughs> no, I don't think she would run at all. Another resident was restrained for for a total of 2,692 hours over the months from June to October in 1976. To be clear, within those few months, there are only 153 days, and those hours add up to 112 entire days restrained. Just so, like strapped to like a bed? Yeah, or, like, or something. Or we, I don't know. It didn't say what she was restrained to. Oh but my gosh. She literally only had 41 days from June to October that she wasn't like tied down or like stuck somewhere. Oh my goodness. This is so, I can't believe people did this. Not, not all of them were bad people, mm-hmm. but like that, that does not seem like the best use of resources. Um, the lawsuit also described the use of drugs at Penhurst as quote unquote, extraordinarily high. And the average age of the Penhurst residents at the time was 36 years old. And on average, they had spent about 21 years of their life there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. A long time. Yeah, because I was going to say that age is higher than I would have expected. But if yeah. they've all been there for, for a long years. time. Yeah. That's just the average. Like, some probably spent more yeah. than that. Yeah. Ugh. If you were a resident that was over the age of 18 and you wanted to leave... Mm-mm. You were not allowed to leave. They would state that you were not ready to re-enter the community or that there just wasn't a place for you to go. So the court would order them to stay at Penhurst. So like, did no one leave ever? I think, which I'll talk about, I did mention somewhere. I think some of them, Terry Halderman, who filed the lawsuit, mm-hmm. her family, she had been visiting her family when they had found like bruises on her that like led them to file the lawsuit. So I think like some of them like did get to go see, see their families at times. And like, I'm sure her family was like, oh, they told us this was a safe place for her yeah. to go. And they're not all straight up just coming out and being like, the people that work there aren't just telling families, it really sucks here. Your kid's being abused. Yeah. Like, so I think some got to leave and I'm sure some families eventually like came and helped them mm-hmm. get out of there. Yeah. I'm hope. sure when like that documentary came, some got out. Yeah. But so another quote from the lawsuit was the residents are not mentally or emotionally ill and are not a danger to society, which is like, yes, tell them that because they're not. Nope. Um, In 1978, a federal judge ordered that they needed to move the remaining 1,230 residents into community living settings around the area instead of the institution. So finally, they were like getting them out of there. Yeah. 
And then the case eventually made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where the Developmentally Disabled Assistance and Bill of Rights Act of 1975 was ordered. And this aided states with the federal grant to help ensure the care and treatment of people merely encourages the habilitation in the quote-unquote least restrictive environment. It's like community living. Mm -hmm. um, Over institutionalization and does not require a certain level of care or conditions to be obtained by the states receiving the federal grants. So I don't know if that. I don't know what that last. Bit no, <laughs> I some of those I kept having to read and be like, I don't know exactly, but I can't just like Google a quote of something. But like, yeah. what does this what does mean? this mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you know what that means, um, email us. Yeah. <laughs> commented on our Instagram post or something. Uh, the final settlement of Penhurst versus Halderman called for the closure of Penhurst in 1984. And then I do have one more residence accounts of Penhurst because a former resident named Roland Johnson shared what he had witnessed. Uh, in 1958, he witnessed a boy thrown out of a window. What? And what had happened was, you see what had happened. <laughs> the attendants were changing over shifts at the time and not paying attention to everyone. And someone pushed the boy out of the window. And Roland stated that he didn't believe the boy would live, which I wouldn't think yeah. they would live either. But thankfully, the boy did survive with only a broken hip and leg, which is terrible still. Yeah. But he did live. What, do you know what floor? Like, I have no idea what floor. But gosh. any floor. I, I mean, Second yeah. Second floor, that's still gotta hurt. Like, Well, yeah. I'm sure it was, if it if he thought he was going to die. It was at least second floor. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, he definitely got injured. Goodness. Roland also compared the smell of Penhurst to a doghouse and said, and this is a quote from him, it just smells like feces, rats crawling, roaches crawling all over, feces and pee on the floor, flies coming in the windows. Like, why would you make I don't people live like that? And I'm like, did the health department not exist at this time? Because like, They were not coming. <laughs> they should have been. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Um, This was the state of the low-grade wards, meaning the wards for residents with low mobility. So, like, that's where Roland was saying. So, it's like, like, if they can't move a lot and they just have rats on yeah. everywhere and cockroaches, oh. Mm-mm. Roland, or, like, the girl that was strapped down. Down, yeah. Which she was able to walk. Like, they yeah. were able to walk. Roland Johnson also described things like residents being threatened and beaten by staff members or that the staff members warned residents that if they told their parents what was going on inside Penhurst, they would be punished. And that punishments would include moving to a punishment ward with those with more severe mental disabilities, a beating with a broomstick, and cleaning up other residents' excrement. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Roland Johnson's thing. And so that's kind of towards the end of the conditions yeah. a little bit. So like I mentioned, the Halderman lawsuit with that Penhurst was to be closed as a result of those awful things. And over 10,500 people had passed through Penhurst State School in the approximately 80 years that it was in operation. The only building that was ever demolished was Building K, which I think was part of the women and girls area. And there are still over 20 buildings on the campus. That's so many. I guess Belmont probably has about the same amount of building maybe a few know. more now but like I don't, know. I don't know in my head i'm like about the skies of our university maybe a little smaller in 1987 penhurst state school and hospital officially shut down on december 9th of that year and before i get to the hauntings i do have a couple of terrible things about the staff a couple of the staff members that oh goody. worked there just two but they are horrible. I bet they suck. Yeah. So on January 2nd, 1937, a 15-year-old named Eugene Statler died of brain hemorrhage and shock. Eugene had been at Penhurst for six years at the time of his death, so he got there when he was nine. Statler had been questioned by an attendant at Penhurst who was 24-year-old William McGraw, and McGraw alleged that Statler was stealing 95 cents. Four other male residents claimed that they saw McGraw tell Statler to put on boxy gloves for his punishment, and then McGraw delivered several blows to Statler's head and against the like pushed him against the wall. What the heck? Yeah. What was McGraw's? Was he a nurse? He was an attendant. Okay. So So whatever. Kind. Yeah. But he shouldn't be. No. 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 Doing that. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, McGraw's claim was that he was merely interrogating Statler, and then he took a phone call, and then came back and found Statler unresponsive. Four people saw him. Like, do you take that with such little, like, such a small grain of salt because they have disabilities? Like, no. Uh, that's Four of them saw And it. also, if he took a phone call, like, they, he didn't have a cell phone. He had to go, like, someone had to let him know yeah. he had a phone call. And yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Uh, luckily... He was held on charges of manslaughter, which is something, but not really yeah. enough. He literally murdered a 15-year-old yeah, boy murder. <laughs> and got away with manslaughter. Just manslaughter. That's I don't even know. Ridiculous. I couldn't find if he got sentenced with much, mm-hmm. but he got held on that. So that's one terrible person that I was working there. Another terrible guy was an aide for eight years at the state school by the name of Richard Greest, I think. And on May 10th, 1978, he stabbed and mutilated his pregnant wife, which then his wife and his unborn baby died, not surprisingly. And he also brutally murdered his six-year-old, not murdered, no, no, no. He slashed them, sorry. He slashed his six-year-old daughter, Beth Ann Grease, and his 71-year-old grandmother, Anna Gresco. Were they like at home? I think or? so. Okay. But this man still worked there. Yeah. And by some miracle, the six-year-old and the grandma survived. Wow. And then Richard tried to run from his house, but the police caught him and placed him under observation at Chester County Hospital. So not arrested, but... Um. He literally murdered his pregnant wife and tried to kill his other kid and and his his grandma. What the heck? I have no idea what his... There's no good explanation as to what... Like, I would just like to know why he tried to do that. That? Oh, my gosh. So that's just a little bit of a look at the terrible people that weren't there. Now, we're going to fast forward to October 2010, and a haunted attraction was opened on the lower original side of campus. Uh. So, in 2008, businessman Richard... Oh, I should have looked this up. I don't know how to say this man's last name. That's okay. I'm going to spell it for you because it's... Great. no idea. C-H-A-K-E-J-I-A-N. So, I have no idea how to say that. I have no yeah. clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, this man, Richard something, bought Penhurst and opened up the school and hospital as a Halloween attraction, naming it Penhurst Asylum in 2010. So, it took two years. He bought mm-hmm. it and took two years to open it. The haunted house was first called Penhurst Institute of Fear. And the haunted attraction makes around $1 million in profits each year. So, it still happens. Yeah. Oh, it still happens. Uh, It starts in the administrative building and then even goes down to tour like the original morgue and the underground tunnel system. And they also offer ghost hunts at the site. I don't like calling it asylum. That takes investigators and people like mainly through the Mayflower building, which a lot of the ghost shows go there. But, you know, there are some strong opponents to the attraction. Yeah. Which is valid because... There always are. (laughs) Yeah. This is... So this is one of the first things I saw when I first looked at this place. Like there were a lot of opinion pieces on this. Like, hey, we should not let this happen. Mm -hmm. So the Penhurst Memorial and Preservation Alliance, they have encouraged boycotts of the business, asserting that the attraction, and this is a quote, portrays people with disabilities in a demeaning and degrading fashion. Demonizing people with disabilities as a profit-making entertainment is offensive to everyone. Yes, which is, yes, that is a very true statement. Like, that's terrible. So are they, like, having people... Like, I think in their haunted houses are making people... Like, dress up like they have a disability. Disabilities and making them act in a way that's not actually how people with disabilities act. That is... Yeah. Horrendous. To scare people. And I, like, wrote this whole little thing about how, like, places like Waverly... Waverly does a haunted house in October most years. Mm-hmm. But it's not... there. And we've talked about this before. Like, they're not acting... At, their, their actors are not being, like, insensitive of the people that were sick mm-hmm. there. They're not people with... I, to my knowledge, they're not people with tuberculosis, like, making fun of people yeah. that were there. And, like, there's one thing to do, like, a, offer investigations to honor the history and to, like, kindly try to... S- communicate with spirits and stuff but like to go in and make fun of people with disabilities and making them seem in insane and like 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 they're villains yeah yeah, and making money off of it that's yeah and i think they and if anyone is getting anything from this if you live in pennsylvania you should write in and be like hey let's not do this anymore and like get involved with this penhurst memorial and preservation alliance because i'm i'm for doing respectful 
investigations like in trying to raise money like Waverly is to preserve the history of the building and yeah. like bring attention to like what happened there yeah but like, like there's, there's better ways to do that than a haunted house that's making people with disabilities seem like evil crazy people yeah. which is not what they are now to talk a little bit about the reported paranormal activity to finish us out the mayflower building is said to be the building with the most paranormal activity um a former tour guide and photographer from Penhurst named Melissa June Daniels reported that a large male guest about six foot three was distressed by his experience on the third floor of the Mayflower building. He said that he felt pressure on his neck and saw a ghost lunging at him in an attempt to strangle him. Oh. I would lose my mind. Yeah. Like, I have freaked out when I've seen shadow figures from, like, a distance just looking at me. Just, yeah. I... If it just lunged sitting there at doing me, nothing, yeah. Trying to strangle me. No way. Um, Daniel's photographer claimed that this grown ass six foot three man held her hand in order to pass the room and get out. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. He was like, I'm not doing that alone. He said, Hold my hand. <laughs> six foot three man like i don't know how tall she is but it doesn't matter how tall she is i need to hold a girl's hand i'm like, in support of six foot three men needing to hold the yeah. girl's hands for being scared of ghosts yeah can you imagine no <laughs> it's so that one got me i thought it was a bit funny uh another report of a spirit is a young hunched over girl with long black hair and dangly arms girl ghosts are the scariest <laughs> That's what everybody at any haunted house ever should be is just, it should just be a bunch of girls that look like they're from like the ring or the grudge or whatever, like coming at you. (laughs) But girl ghosts know how to bring the drama. Yeah. Like the intro of the ghost adventures (laughs) theme song has one that scares me every time. She's like crawling crawling really fast. I will say what I want about ghost adventures, but their images are creepy and Uh, we do watch it a lot. Another ghost that has been reported at least at three separate times is a nurse wearing an old-fashioned uniform and at waverly they always are like people have seen doctors and stuff and i'm like if i ever it's one thing for me to see like a shadow figure i don't know what i would do if i could see a ghost that's like in clothes from a yeah. time period that's different yeah. like that would scare me a lot it's weird yeah out of the philadelphia building voices have been heard echoing pretty loudly outside even though there's no one inside the building which hearing loud voices and screams is my nightmare yeah i can't do that (laughs) and then multiple evps have been reported in the quaker building and there have also been a lot of people that have experienced like being shoved and scratched so it just sounds like this place is pretty physical that is not very quaker i don't know if it's in the quaker (laughs) building i think it's just all around I don't know, okay. probably in the Quaker building too. It just sounds like this whole place is very physical with people, which yeah. is, makes sense that people were abusing. People, yeah, I had very yeah. terrible and things And people that worked there them. were abusing them. And then I would want to fight back. Yeah. Like, I don't know what else to do. Like, don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the last note I have here is that a medium claimed that there is a demonic force within the building, which I don't know what I think about that, but just, I don't like when someone throws around being like, this place is demonic. It's like, is it? It's just scary. Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's hope not. And then I'm not going to go into detail, but if you guys want to watch episodes of ghost shows going to this place, I know there's a Destination Fear episode, uh, Ghost Adventures. Mm. You can watch it. I'm sure something weird will happen. Yeah. And the show Portals to Hell, which sometimes I like, sometimes yeah. I don't know. And then the show I don't recommend is Ghost Asylum with all the redneck guys that <laughs> thought breathing was a ghost. And I was oh, like, that's yeah, someone yeah. breathing. <laughs> and BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode on this place too. Oh, I didn't yes. remember that. I didn't remember it either. And I didn't watch it, but it definitely exists. Season three. That's what I saw. So. I love them. So yeah, that is Penhurst. Wow. If that didn't make you angry. Yeah. You need to check yourself. <laughs> check yourself. And figure out what's wrong with you because that is some of the worst things i have ever heard oh my gosh but if you live in pennsylvania around pennsylvania get connected with that organization to stop the terrible haunted house and stuff that's happening there and see what you can do to help honor the people that were stuck there and being treated like that Mm -hmm. because they deserve respect i feel like that of all these haunted places that have had terrible conditions and bad things happening to people but i don't know how you keep researching these places it's really depressing yeah 
I mean, at I this mean, point, I know I'm the like, whole point of our podcast is depressing yeah. things, but well, I, I'm not like what I I couldn't watch that docu series. Yeah, like I was like I can't do that because also I just said the word like a million times and my dad is going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch some of that, and I've just seen it. Like I'm I grew up watching them on like Ghost Adventures, or yeah. Ghost Hunters, and so I've like seen clips from these things. Yeah, which makes me just like want to know, know everything, and I like it. I like bringing light to yeah. The things that happen there, because I think like the history of Waverly is like, like, I'm sorry, dad, is so interesting, but also, and so like reading their history makes me want to read other places history. Mm -hmm. And I also just want to go to places. Same. And see what happens. I want to go ghost hunting. And I want to know about the places that I go to. Yeah. We can add this maybe to our list. Maybe if different owners take over yeah. or things change. This is not a right away. I also love how we have a quote unquote list as if we have the money or Every means place that to I've go talked anywhere. about makes me want to go there. So yeah. it's on the list. <laughs> Add it to the list. This podcast, we're going to take off and then travel. We're going to blow up. you guys up. can meet up with us. We're going to blow up. And, and then act, act like we don't know nobody. <laughs> That's our vision board. Nothing else <laughs> on our vision board. Just that quote. Perfect. Anyways. Am so I that, reading another quote from you today? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Didn't you have them picked out? She's grabbing her phone. Our setup is really hard to get yeah. out of. <laughs> My random quote from Katie. Which I also love that it's I'm only scared. quotes from you. There's none from me. Because you don't say things like I do. <laughs> to be fair, a lot of these are late at night. I'm about to go to bed and my mind is somewhere else. I have, yeah, I have one for this episode and one for the next okay. one. I want it to be known that this quote was said very intensely. <laughs> I have no idea. With a lot of like passion. I have no clue. Katie said, and I quote, everyone has a hairy ass. <laughs> My dad is listening. Well, when did I say that? <laughs> Dinner the other night. <laughs> Out in public. You said this in public that? too. I can't tell you the story on air. <laughs> okay, well, you have to tell it to me off air. Because... Oh, wait. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um oh. but yeah <laughs> that's a quote from katie <laughs> that she said in I public really okay it was not like there were people around us <laughs> but still <laughs> there was a bartender <laughs> so that's our um palate cleanser oh my gosh <laughs> sorry dad my mom doesn't listen You're to this just speaking facts <laughs> yeah i mean am i wrong <laughs> no it's skin let us know in the in our comments. <laughs> if you have, if no, you have I don't want to know. I already know, so I don't need you to confirm it. I know. Okay. If you really liked this episode, you can, well, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, heck yeah. And tell your friends. Yeah. Or you can, oh, and, and, and you can. And. Follow us on Instagram at Something Sick Podcast or on Twitter at A Sick Podcast or on TikTok at Something Sick Podcast or send us an email, which my friend Patty sent us an email. Shout out to Patty. At Something Sick Podcast at gmail.com. And I will respond to you. Yes. So please email. And we'll see you next time, homies. Peace out. Peace out.